We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's with me today. If you missed Cooley on yesterday's podcast, he was really good on Eric Bieniemy and Greg Roman and the Super Bowl. Um, it was uh, thank you for those of you that reached out to say that you wish uh, that Cooley had done the Super Bowl breakdown on Monday instead of Wednesday. We take it when we can get it. Um, but I appreciate the fact that you appreciated uh, all of his insight on a Super Bowl that he only watched three quarters of. Um, Tommy's with me. Tommy didn't even watch the Cleveland game at the end of the year. And look at how great his insight was on that. Uh, my guests, my guests come on thoroughly unprepared, but ready to entertain anyway. Um, Alex wrote this, uh, Apple review for us. Tommy, uh, gave us five stars. Uh, please rate us and review us, especially where you can, but, uh, specifically Apple podcast, uh, Spotify as well. Um, Alex from Annapolis writes, even though Tommy and Kevin are so old, they took archery in school. <laughs> They're a must-listen <laughs> together every week. Love the back-and-forth banter between the two and a pod where they do a solid amount of Terps football and basketball. We certainly do a lot of Terps hoops when they're good on this podcast, for sure. Safe to say the pod has caught on. Tommy, it's time to buy a place in Florida and stop renting. You're not Brian LaFamina. And Kevin isn't Dan the Sailing Man. Love the show, Jets. Uh, that's a really good review. Thank you, Alex. And uh, again, uh, if you want to pause the podcast right now and you haven't rated us or reviewed us wherever you can, especially on Apple, uh, just give us quick five stars and write something you know, that's one to two sentences in length. Length with the silent G. Um, Tommy's with me. Uh, today, and we've got lots to talk about, including Eric Bieniemy, including some Terps hoops. They play Purdue tonight in College Park. Let me just tell you, this show is going to toss and turn throughout. I mean, I couldn't sleep at all last night. Got to thinking about you, Tommy. <laughs> Baby, things weren't right. Well, it's because I was tossing and turning. Tommy, Tommy sent me his karaoke from last night where his new favorite song is Tossing and Turning. He sent it to me, and at the end of this podcast, I'm going to play the four or five minutes that he sent to me. It is, well, let me just say, it's something else, okay? 
It's um. That's damn good. <laughs> That's damn good karaoke. It's certainly damn not, good. It's certainly not Sinatra. Um, but it's not Fergie doing the national anthem either. Um, but uh, uh, by the way, when when the song started to play, I totally recognized that song. When you mentioned it the other day, I'm not really sure I knew what the song was. But when you were singing it, no matter how um, how uh, effectively or ineffectively you were singing the song, I did I did know the song. I did. And this is your new go-to. And, it, and by the way, you got a nice ovation at the end from the crowd. Yes, I did. I stuck yes, till I the did. very I'm end. I'm big there. Yeah. In fact, when I got, when I got on the elevator uh, to go downstairs to karaoke, uh, there were people getting off. And this woman said to me, are you singing tonight? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. She really did. She, like, you're getting recognized <laughs> yes, now did. for being that karaoke guy down there in Destin. <laughs> um, oh boy! Uh, how again? You know what? It's it, it, uh, honestly, I don't think I could do it. I've never done karaoke. Um, I don't have a great voice, singing voice. I have told you this though that my father has a very good singing voice, and my son, who's a musician, um, has a good singing voice as well. I do not have a good singing voice at all. Um, not that that should. I bet you could do it with a group of people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of these people go up like two, three, four people singing as a group. That way, not you, you know, they're, they're straight in not, numbers. You don't, don't need not a, me. You don't need any help. I'm a solo act, baby. I think it takes great courage to do that. Um, and uh, and I don't know that with respect to singing, I would have. L- let me just say this: I'd have to be, I'd have to be well oiled to go up there and do it. And <laughs> I mean, it would take it would take more than three or four red stripes. For me to get up there, it'd take a good six to just, you know, get. I'd have to have a really solid buzz going. And then, you know, all inhibitions, um, you know, they are tossed to the side. And I would probably do it. I don't, I'm trying to think of what song I would sing. What, I mean, see, the, the songs that you pick are really old, kind of early rock and roll songs, right? For the most part. Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite, <laughs> followed by Cry Like a Baby by the Box Top. Right. And uh, I've got one more I'm going to trot out uh, before I'm done here at karaoke season. That I, I, I can, think I'll do, I'll do well, but I don't know. Can you break that news on the podcast for those in Destin sure. that are it, listening? It, it's an obscure song called Little Red Riding Hood by Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. Not familiar, and uh, I I think I could deliver on that. Would I? Rec- we'll find out. Would I recognize the tune if I heard it? Was it a big hit? Because tossing and turning, I, anybody that is like me, you know, wasn't around for that necessarily, but it likes music. You've heard that song before. What about the one that you're? Well, you- it's in it's in ad, it, it's in Animal House. Tossing and turning. There you go. It, it, so I mean, that's yeah. A lot of people would have heard it in Animal House. Now, uh, uh, Little Red Riding Hood is not as prominent. Okay. I'm, th- I'm thinking you probably didn't hear that. Did you want to um, – I, I didn't even ask you about this. I'm, I'm going to guess that you were a Raquel Welch fan. Well, I don't know who wasn't. Uh, I mean, what? this we're talking about the perfect – I mean, the, the perfect goddess. I mean, she was tall. She was big in all the places that count. Right. You know, 
she had a beautiful face. She had long, flowing hair. I mean, <laughs> she was the perfect, the perfect sex symbol. Would you say that Raquel Welch was more of a 60s? Because you know me, I am a child of the 70s. So for me, I'm at the fair. We've talked about this many times. It's Farrah Fawcett. It's Cheryl Teagues. It's that group. Uh, Raquel Welch was much more of a 60s sex symbol, right? Probably. I mean, the. I mean, I certainly remember her. Don't get me wrong. The poster that she's known for from uh, 1 million uh, BC. The uh, movie that she appeared in, mm-hmm. uh, that's the poster that was on Andy Frayne's wall, and, uh, Andy, hiding his tunnel. Andy Dufresne, exactly. Yeah. Andy Dufresne's wall, right. Ha- hiding right. his tunnel in, in the Shawshank Redemption. Right. Uh, I think that, that was made in the 60s. Uh, 100 Rifles, that she did with Jim Brown, I think, was made in the 60s. And Fantastic Voyage. Uh, was also made in the 60s. So the, the, the movies that really put her on, on, you know, on the forefront were made in the 60s. Yeah. Yes. You know, she, she died, for those that wonder why we're talking about Raquel Welch, she passed away yesterday at the age of 82 years old. Um, you know, she was born 1940. So by the time, you know... Uh, I'm I'm a child, just call it 1975, she's 35 years old. Not that that's an old broad by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm going to imagine that really her peak um, as, uh, as a pinup girl, as a sex symbol, was mid-60s. In fact, I'm looking through like her early breakthroughs, it says, were 63 to 66. Um, and, yes, and, but here's the thing. Yes. 25, 30 years later... She was still hotter than almost anything out there. There's no doubt. She aged very, very well and gracefully. Yes. No doubt. Yes. Look, a movie I'd recommend is Kansas City Bomber. She played, uh, a, a, it was based on the life of a, uh, a you know, a roller derby queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, sh- and she's in that. And that was always my favorite one. Uh, uh, Kansas City Bomber. I think it came out in '72. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Well, rest in peace, Raquel Welch, um, a beauty uh, from start to finish. Yes. Uh, I'm she looking... was in Seinfeld. Yes, she was. She was in Seinfeld. She was the one who beat up both Kramer and Elaine. <laughs> exactly. Because... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, because she wouldn't move her arms or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm actually looking right now that you mentioned that. I'm pulling up her television, um, you know, a, a televisionography. Uh, she was early on in all of the shows of the 60s that I watched uh, as reruns in the 70s. McHale's Navy, uh, Bewitched. Um, oh, and then she was she was on Mork and Mindy. That was, that was in the 70s. I certainly remember Mork and Mindy. Uh, God, remember McHale's Navy? Tim Conway was in McHale's oh. Navy. Good God, he was hysterical. Absolutely. He was hysterical. Ernest Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Right. Ernest Borgnine. And Carl Ballantyne was the, well, I forget the character's name, who was who always had some kind of scam going. The actor was Carl Ballantyne. Yeah. And the captain was Joe Flynn, 
And his assistant, the ensign, was, I, I don't remember who that actor was. Mm. But yeah, I used to be a devoted McHale's Navy watcher. And you were and you were a devoted Elizabeth Montgomery person, too, from Bewitched. Yes. I yes, remember I mean, you mentioned her you know, if you, Yeah, I would take her over Barbara Eden, if you're doing a comparison <laughs> of uh, a beautiful woman with, with mystical... <laughs> With mystical powers, is that the comparison? Yes, Barbara Eden and Elizabeth so. Montgomery, really? Yeah, one one is a genie, one is a witch. Yeah, yeah, um, I think so. Okay, I'm trying to think of which one. I think I think Elizabeth Montgomery's more attractive. I think that's probably I mean, true. It's a close. I'll grant you, it's a close discussion. Right. I mean, Barbara Eden is beautiful, but uh, Major Major uh, Nelson and Major and Major Healy, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that took place in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And there's an I Dream of Jeannie Road in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Hmm. There you go. All right. Um, anything else entertainment related? Oh, I have watched. I'm caught up on The Last of Us. They actually aired episode five. They made it available on Friday, late Friday, because the Super Bowl was Sunday night and they were concerned that it wouldn't get the numbers. So they put it out, and I actually watched it on Saturday at some point. Uh, another good episode with really an ending that kind of came out of nowhere. Certainly didn't see that one coming there at the end. Um, but uh, yes, uh, for all of you that uh, I see trying to interact uh, on this show, every, I don't. I, I haven't seen one person that isn't into it right now. I like it too. I like it a lot. Um, so today is the day that Eric Bieniemy is in town to interview for the Washington uh, Commanders offensive coordinator position. So I have, you know, kind of talked a lot about this the last two days, and um, and I, I, I read uh, a tweet on the radio show this morning from uh, from our guy Toothpick. Um, I love Toothpick a lot. He said, you know, essentially uh, s- said to me, you know, so what are you okay with? Are you okay with, um, you know, sort of the status quo, just an extension of what what they had? Um, and going with a guy like Ken Zampezi. And the answer to that is no, that's not really what I've been saying. What I've been saying is this. Um, I, I don't know why Eric Bieniemy is available, but I think it's totally normal to be suspicious about it. Eric Bieniemy has interviewed for a lot of jobs. He didn't get any of them. As I mentioned yesterday, if you want to inject race into the conversation, he interviewed for head coaching opportunities that eventually went to black and or other minority candidates. He now is applying or interviewing for an offensive coordinator position, a lateral move, which, by the way, most teams aren't interested in even interviewing him for. Baltimore and Washington are the two teams that wanted to interview him. Baltimore didn't even wait. They hired Todd Munkin um, and didn't wait to interview him uh, until after the Super Bowl. And right now it would appear as if Washington is the only interested party in Eric Bieniemy. 
I don't know what the reasons are. We've heard the reasons. Tommy and I have talked about the reasons that have been out there. He's a bad interviewer. Um, he's tough on players. Uh, and, you know, everybody wonders whether or not he's actually had as much responsibility as, you know, a lot of offensive coordinators have. But that doesn't make sense because we've seen a lot of offensive coordinators over the years that haven't been play callers, that have coached for offensive head coaches that have gotten jobs. And right now, there are several OC availabilities, and the only one that I can find that he's going to interview for is today in Washington. And my only point is this. When was the last time this organization bucked the rest of the league and was right about it? I'm not saying that there isn't a chance that everybody's whiffed on Eric Bieniemy, and for whatever reason, you know, being uh, sh- under that big Andy Reid shadow, especially during the Mahomes era in particular, you know, may make it seem as if anybody could have done that job. I don't know what the reasons are, but Washington's the only team right now that appears to be a possibility for Eric Bieniemy. Who knows? Maybe the guy in Philadelphia that went and took the Arizona job, Jonathan Gannon, he needs an OC. He's a defensive head coach. Maybe he is going to bring in Bieniemy if Bieniemy doesn't get hired here. Bowles just hired an OC in Tampa, didn't even ask to interview Bieniemy. Um, you know, Shane Steichen took the job in Indianapolis. He's an offensive head coach. I don't know that he'll bring in Eric Bieniemy. Sean Payton's an offensive head coach. Frank Reich's an offensive head coach. Um, you know, and this may be the perfect opportunity for Bieniemy because he's working for not only a defensive head coach, but a defensive head coach who's kind of become a CEO coach where the coordinators have had, you know, by all accounts, a ton of autonomy. And one year here in D.C., maybe he elevates an offense, elevates a, a very young quarterback, and that you know he can sort of parlay into much more interest in him as a head coach. But I personally don't think it's crazy by a long shot. In fact, I'm shocked that many of you aren't on board with being a little bit mystified as to why Eric Bieniemy is here after all of these years in Kansas City, all of the interviews that he didn't get offered for, and now it's an OC job, and the only one that's ava- the only one that is available to him is Washington. I think that that that's a red flag, not the red flags that I put up for the Carson Wentz trade, Indianapolis and Philadelphia at great expense, moving on after a short period of time with Carson Wentz. You know, Washington bidding against themselves, essentially overpaying. I'm not suggesting it's that. But I do think that, you know, we ha- this organization, as Tommy has said many times, it's not the place to come and enhance your reputation. Anyway, what do you think? I think he's going to get the job, well, by the way. All, I think he's going to get the job. But go ahead. First of all, I think, I really think it's humorous how worked up people are getting about an offensive coordinator for this football team. Good point. As if, as if it's really going to have a major impact. As if this, this is the missing piece right here. Fabulous point. I, you know, agree, I agree. I mean, I just can't, I just can't believe with the, with the sale of the team still out there that people are getting worked up 
about the offensive coordinator. Right. So I find that humorous. Now, that said, I agree with everything you said. I mean, there's, there has got to be more reasons be, beyond the race issue that Eric Bieniemy did has not gotten another opportunity when other black coaches have been hired over him. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, Andy Reid, uh, here's, here's what we don't know. If he doesn't get this job, is he is he going back to Kansas City? I talked about that yesterday with, with Cooley. Like, to me, one of the real interesting things would be, what if Washington doesn't hire him? He's not under contract. Why wasn't he under contract? Why, why did they let his contract expire? Why didn't he ha- have an extension before this last year with obviously the, you know, the, the addendum in there that says if you get a head coaching job, of course you can leave. Yeah. Of course, they could they could have done that. Absolutely, I mean, I, it's found, it does, Andy Reid hasn't said, and maybe he's just not saying it. And maybe he would be back, but I, no one has come out and said he's going to be back in Kansas City next year if he doesn't have a job. No, in fact, the conversation now, I can't in Kansas City not bringing him back. The, the conversation in Kansas City is that Matt Nagy, who, by the way. Um, Eric Bieniemy replaced when he got the job in Chicago and is back on the staff is going to be elevated to OC and he's going to get his old job back. I agree with you. Like for Andy Reid, if Washington didn't offer Bieniemy the job, or let's just say Bieniemy decided, you know what, I got into that place and I'm like, I'd rather not work than work for this this group of people. You know, who knows? And, and I think, you know, Cooley nailed it yesterday to a certain extent as well. It's possible they may not offer him a multi-year deal. You know, they might not be offering anybody a multi-year deal. And these coordinators now are getting multi-year deals and some security. But let's just say it doesn't work out. I agree with you, but... I don't know why. I, I think the reason for agreeing with you, I'll get to in a second, but Andy Reid's going to have to bring him back, probably bring him back with some sort of elevated title, assistant head coach, you know, pass game uh, coordinator, run game coordinator, or maybe assistant head coach, co-offensive coordinator, or maybe comes back in the OC, period, and Nagy doesn't get elevated. But I, you know, I, I'm not sure it's because I don't know an, anything but I'm not sure it's because that's what they'd, you know, that would be their number one choice. If that were their number one choice, he would have been under contract beyond this year. I think he would have been, unless he decided not to sign a contract. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Look, uh, he has a lot of supporters within the Chiefs organization. Patrick Mahomes yes. has spoken out numerous times very favorably of him. Uh, Andy Reid obviously promotes him every chance he gets. Uh, there's one critic who used to play with him, played with him for only one year in Kansas City, and that's LaShawn McCoy. Yeah, right. LaShawn McCoy has been very vocal in his criticisms yes. of, of Eric Bieniemy. Uh, basically, he said there's a reason why every year they hype him up to get a job, and when the time comes, nobody hires him because they know the type of coach he really is. Yeah. So, but, I mean, there's, there's not without critics there. Yeah, and, you know, Cooley pointed out he's got a past of some issues, but it's those things are really old. I mean, we're talking about... Yeah, they really are. The, They're I mean, more than 20 years ago. 30 years ago Absolutely. in some cases. And, you know, we've yes. seen... No, uh, that, that, yeah, I don't think that yeah. has anything that's to do not, with that's it. That's not an issue for me. No. 
that's not that wouldn't be an issue for me. Those those are way far in the past. Um, so. but I, I just again, I mean, I hope he gets the job. You know, I hope they hire him. Why? Uh, well, because it 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 this it would be another bizarre storyline. You know, <laughs> I mean, it won't be normal. Like like this place won't be normal. The the story is Eric the enemy calling all the plays. You know how much influence is Ron Rivera having? If things aren't going good, will Ron Rivera take over the play call? It's just it it it's just be another another bizarre storyline for a bizarre organization that doesn't know any other way to do business. But again, and it all may go up in a cloud of smoke if come next owners meeting there's a new owner. Yeah, I mean, that's why I've said the last few days, you know, anybody coming in here to interview for any position has to be doing the interviewing as much as they're getting interviewed, you know, because they're, especially if you have other options, you just don't know what this place is going to look like. I, I think I said this yesterday or maybe to you earlier in the week, one year from now, when we're talking about the football team, the odds are greater, much greater than 50-50. I don't know where they are, but they're better than a coin flip. That we are going to be talking about a team with a new owner, a new front office, a new coaching staff. And this, yes. like you said, you know, and I, I, I did talk about this a little bit on radio this morning, uh, that, you know, this small bubble that we're in, which is, you know, talking about this football team in every last, you know, uh, you know, detail and, and piece of minutia. It's like, really? We're getting worked up over the offensive coordinator. First of all, the number one story in this franchise and as Coach Thompson would say, you got to count five spots to get to number two, is ownership and the sale of this team. Yes. And then, by the way, yes. what is number two after you count five spots is quarterback. Quarterback. And then you, yes. have, to, then you have to count five spots until you get to, honestly, uh, the Chase Young, Montez Sweat, uh, Deron Payne, all of the contract stuff related to the defensive line and what they're going to do in the draft and free agency. And then maybe OC pops up like fourth or fifth on the list. I mean, I, I, <laughs> this is another thing about... A, I got a question for you. Yes. I got a question for you. Let's say Andy Reid decided to retire tomorrow. Would Eric Bianami get that? Would the Chiefs hire Eric Bianami? Would the Chiefs hire him? I I don't yeah. think so. What do you think? I don't think so either. I, I, I mean, I mean they, they could have their pick of coaches to coach the greatest quarterback maybe we've ever seen, and they're going to elevate Eric Bieniemy. I don't think so. Well, the only I, it sh I shouldn't say the only reason. that That's dismissive, and I have no reason to be dismissive because I don't know what the situation with Eric Bieniemy is, but Patrick Mahomes would make that decision. If Patrick Mahomes yeah. went to the Hunt family and said, "Oh no, 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 no. I want Eric Bieniemy to be the head coach. He's yeah, been, you're the, right. you know. You're right." So, and 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 if that didn't happen, that would be telling. Just like if Washington doesn't offer him the job today or tomorrow, that would be telling. But nothing would be more telling than if he doesn't get offered the job and then there's no position for him back in Kansas City. Because then you're going to look at yeah. Andy Reid as a total fraud and, 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 and a used car pitch man you know, trying to sell a lemon here in, in the last well, few weeks. Well, we're, we're familiar with him in that role in Washington, aren't we? Donovan McNabb, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, 
You know, you know, look, he's going to get offered the job. I think so too. I mean, this team, this team would consider it a major public relations win to hire Eric Bieniemy as their offensive coordinator. They probably would, if that's the reason that they end up going with him over somebody they think is better and more qualified. Then you know we're looking definitely at the final year of this group together. I think we're looking at the final year of this group together anyway. Um, but that would be another reason why they'll never succeed. They'll just never succeed because they're going to want the press release. Look, a big part of every single press release for a year and a half now has been about how this organization is the most inclusive and the most diverse in the sport. Um, I would certainly hope that they really have belief and that Ron Rivera connects with Enemy in some way, shape, or form because Rivera was a minority candidate and it took him a long time to get a head coaching position um, and that maybe he really believes in Enemy and uh, really believes he can do the job. And look, Enemy may be one of these guys that doesn't interview well, is really tough with players, but is going to prove to be an X's and O's genius and yes. a quarterback mentor. Certainly. And he's going to be an OC. And then he's going to turn into the head coach when Rivera retires after they win the Super Bowl next year with Sam Howell. Sam uh, Howell. We are worked up over the OC the position. I can't even say his name Why? without laughing. I, I, don't, I don't laugh at it. I, 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 there are things oh, that I, I, I laugh at. I it. laugh at those that actually are convinced that they've seen enough to think that he's the right. answer. That's laughable, of course. Um, That's but, what I'm laughing at. Yeah, then. but I, but I think that there's some talent there. And I'll tell yes, you, that, there is. And I, and not that he would have said anything different. But when I had his offensive coordinator, Phil Longo from North Carolina on the radio show, there was just a lot that he said that really uh, felt spot on. And I really felt like a guy, you know, a lifer like Longo, who's been a really good offensive mind headed to Wisconsin um, to work for Luke Fickle. And we'll see if Wisconsin can start to throw the ball and put up uh, big points because they've always been a great program, but they've always not been a great offensive program when it comes to throwing the football. But Longo just loved Hal. And I, I didn't expect anything different, but he was very, very specific about the reasons why his game will translate to this next level. He also had incredibly nice things to say about Ken, Zam- Ken Zampezi and about the connection that Hal and Zampezi had about how comfortable it was. And maybe all of this ends with Zampezi because they really can't offer what they want to offer uh, Roman or, um, or Biennemi. But let me just finish this conversation, in, in, unless you have something else, with what Cooley and I were talking about yesterday. Cooley thinks Greg Roman is the best run game designer and creative mind of the last 20 years in the NFL. I mean, I've, I've ripped through the numbers. Greg Roman's rush offense is, you know, uh, has ranked eighth, fourth, third, fourth, first, 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 third, second. And to me, Greg Roman, in my mind's eye, is a known. Eric Bieniemy isn't. Now, that doesn't mean that they aren't going to get a better coordinator with Bieniemy again. But Roman, I think I could make um, a case to myself that I would get excited about Greg Roman and a top 10 defense on the other side of the ball. 
because you're going to end up with a top 10 defense and you're going to end up with a top two to three rush offense. And then all you're hoping for is that the quarterback's just good enough and better than what they've had, and you've got a team that'll be an interesting team to watch next year. Now, you know, some would say, yeah, but you're ignoring your best players, Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. You don't have to say that. Greg Roman just hasn't had receivers here for the last four years in Baltimore. Um, And maybe he's got a better thrower and a better passer in Sam Howell. Who knows? But the Roman thing, to me, is really intriguing. Like, if that ended up being the way they went, I think I'd get excited about that. The Biennemi thing, I would be in wait-and-see mode because I have no idea. With Roman, I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get a top-three rush offense, and I think I've got a top-ten defense coming back. So, anything else on this? Okay. No, nothing else. All right, uh, but we both. I, I wait. I can't wait for the big announcement. Though. We both think we're going to get that announcement right in the next two days. Yes. Yeah, I do too. Be enemy. I'm saying. I think it's going to be be enemy. Yes. Um, yes. So do I. All right. Let's get to some other things. I'm not sure what. I have a bunch of things written down, and we'll get to those things right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code. MyBookie has a unique deposit bonus going on right now that lets you cash in and cash out quickly. Uh, Make your deposit and then wager that deposit amount just one time. You're eligible to cash out right away if you use my promo code, KevinDC. Most books don't let you do that. My bookie is letting you do that. They've got everything you need, by the way. All the college basketball, all the NBA, all of the NFL prop bets for next year, they're all up already. Um, and uh, Maryland tonight right now at my bookie, only a one-point underdog at home against Purdue, the number three team in America. Needless to say, your boy will be on the Terps tonight because that one reeks. I guessed that line, Tommy. I, I guessed if Purdue had won on Sunday, they played Northwestern. Northwestern's really good in basketball this year. They, they are the surprise team of the Big Ten, one of the surprise teams in the country. They beat Indiana last night. If they had uh, beaten Northwestern on Super Bowl Sunday, I predicted that they would have trotted into College Park tonight as the number one team in the country and maybe been an underdog, like it would have been Pickham. Uh, it's still only one and a half Purdue. Um, Maryland, you know, one, one and a half right now. I'm seeing one and a half. I'm seeing one. I, I'm seeing one now at my bookie. 
Um, I like the Terps tonight against Purdue. I will be there tonight uh, at Xfinity Center. 6.30 start, not thrilled with that. This is the kind of game um, that bothers me when it comes to the Big Ten and their scheduling, Tom. It's like, as I've said before, D.C.'s their only really big city school with major traffic issues. I know Northwestern's in Chicago and Evanston, Illinois, you know, but, uh, you know, for the most part, this is the problem. This is the one school that really has an issue with traffic. 630 starts ridiculous. This should have been the 830 game tonight. Um, but for you heading out there, I know that, you know, some of you just won't be able to get there until the second half. That's what stinks about a big game but, like this starting but, at 630. But for your sleep schedule, this, this time works fine, doesn't it? Yeah, but I don't care about my sleep schedule. I care about the best okay. possible <laughs> environment that gives them the best chance to win. And I can already see it. At 630, when that game tips, the arena is going to be half-filled. Now, by the end of the first half, you know, it will be packed to the rafters. I mean, the tickets on StubHub for this game, despite the start time, are a fortune uh, for this game. I mean, to to get into the lower level tonight, you're going to have to pay well in advance. Well, let's see what they have now. Uh, There's nothing left in the lower level. There are no tickets left in the lower level. Actually, that's not true. Couple, couple of tickets left behind the basket in the lower level. Everything else is upper level on the aftermarket. This game is a sellout. Um, I just want them to have the kind of environments that they can have. The Illinois game was that. That was a Friday night, 8 o'clock start. Uh, 8 o'clock is the perfect time on a weeknight for College Park. Gives you plenty of time to get there, and then it's not too late for people to complain that it's too late. But that's but, not the TV schedule. You talk about, you talk about the environment – from what I've read, Kevin Willard is a little concerned about the environment getting out of control, isn't he? Oh, you mean the comments he made about the cursing and the yeah. language? I think that he that yeah, was it's, it's, I think that was somewhat tongue in cheek. Really? I don't know. I didn't watch. I I, nor, I watch his pre- press conferences after games. I usually don't watch them before games. Um, I, I, I only read the quote. I didn't hear the tone of it. But knowing that he is somewhat sarcastic, um, uh, I would bet that it was a bit sarcastic. I'm looking for the the, the, uh, the, the – basically he said that the crowd was – they were chanting um, uh, F Penn State uh, on, on Saturday. I was at that game. And he didn't like – you know, he said something about the cursing from the crowd. Look, there was nothing right. as vulgar as as Xfinity and Cole Fieldhouse way back in the day, day when Carolina or Duke came in. I've never seen anything like that since. One of the reasons they did away with Rock and Roll Part 2, the, the, the song that they would play after introductions for so long, and now they have it back, um, is, it would, I mean, it included, we're going to beat the hell out of you, you, and you. I mean, that was stupid. That was such a great way to sort of introduce the game right before uh, tip out, uh, tip-off. But, um... Yeah, uh, I, I can't find okay. the quote. I can't find the quote. Anyway, uh, big game for the Terps tonight. Huge game, big opportunity. They've really played well this year. How have they played well? In what area? What 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 areas where have they excelled? Where do you think? Um, they're a very good defensive team. 
Uh, they are really smart defensively. Uh, he, he plays a lot of different defenses, switches them up, disguises them. I love that about what he does defensively. He, like Turgeon, is a defensive first head coach. Um, I uh, Offensively, he's, real, he's figured it out with the group they had. It, it took them a while. They're not a good shooting team. They're not a, a good three-point shooting team. I think they've got guys that stroke it pretty well, but the percentages don't lie. They're 306, 336th in the country in three-point shooting percentage. I think they're only 360-something Division I teams. Um, but they've got some tough matchups. Their point guard, Jameer Young-Tommy, the transfer from Charlotte's been amazing this year. <clears throat> Without him, they'd be nowhere near where they are right now, which is solidly a tournament team. I mean, they're, they're, they're Ken Palm numbers in the low 20s. Their net numbers in the, the high 20s. I mean, they would have to completely crater down the stretch not to make the tournament. They were picked to finish 10th in the Big Ten. They've actually got a chance to finish 2nd in the Big Ten behind Purdue. Um, so uh, they, they, they've gotten better. They've got players that are tough matchups like Hakeem Hart, like Dante Scott at times. Um, they're, they're a good basketball team. They're not overly gifted or talented compared to some of the other teams that are ranked super high. They're not ranked right now. They haven't been for several weeks. Um, but they're, they're a team capable, I think, of winning a game in the tournament. And who knows, matchups are anything or everything. And Willard's become Willard's a good fit. You know what a, a fan and those listening are. Uh, what a fan I am of, of Mark Turgeon, the person and the basketball coach. Right. But you know the but Mark's a Midwest guy. Kevin Willard's an East Coast guy, and Kevin Willard really does, I think, have you know, kind of the personality to connect more with what the Maryland fan base is. And for those of you who know, you know, and for those of you who don't, it is really a fan base made up of New Yorkers, Jersey people, uh, both South Jersey and North Jersey, Philly people, Maryland, Baltimore, and D.C. people. That's the fan base. It's a hardcore East Coast fan base um, and why do I say those other places? Because a lot of the students undergrad are from New York, New Jersey, Philly. Um, it's always been that way. Um, it's a very, it's always been a very popular school for kids, you know, on Long Island or in Westchester or Bergen County or down in South Jersey or in Philly. It's always been that way. And Mark was a good coach, really good coach, in my opinion. I'm not going to have that debate with, with all of you right now. You've heard my position on that. Um, but, but from a personality standpoint, not the same as his fan base. Although he actually has a very, very subtle, quick, and sarcastic sense of humor, which is the irony of what I'm saying. Um, but Willard does too, and Willard understands the, you know, the, being in a fan base that will get on you when you're not doing well. Um, and, uh, you be, yeah. You beat Purdue, you're going to be ranked, right? Yeah, they've been, you know, they've been hovering in the, you know, the vote, you know, other teams re- receiving votes. It, it, you know, yeah. Tommy, the rankings, to be honest with you, really just don't matter. It's the net ranking and the Ken Palm numbers. Those are the things that really matter and factor into your NCAA Tournament, you know, um, eligibility I know that. and I know that, but, seating, etc. But they matter. They matter less when you're not ranked. 
when you are ranked, they see you know those, those things seem to matter. Yeah, to no, you can use those things for recruiting, et cetera. But you know, like yeah. I'm looking at the Ken Palm number right now. Maryland's 23rd in the country, and they've got um, yeah, they got eight losses. There's only one team ahead of them with more losses, and that's West Virginia's 20th. I God, I can't believe West Virginia's 20th in in, in Ken Palm. Um, so you know, there the the uh, the, the power numbers. Um, and a lot of the the you know advanced numbers understand Maryland's a pretty good basketball team. Are they Houston? Are they Alabama, who got beat by Tennessee last night? Are they UCLA? Are they Purdue? Purdue's different because they're we'll see tonight. Um, and home floor means a hell of a lot in the Big Ten. Maryland's undefeated in Big Ten play at home. Um, are they you know Kansas? Uh, are they Arizona? Are they you know no? They're they're not. But you know they they're a six to eight seed somewhere in that range right now with a chance to go much higher. You know, if they can finish this season strong, they could end up on selection Sunday as the second place team in the big 10 with a a much higher number um, in terms of, you know, higher seed uh, than probably most are even thinking right now, right now they're in that, you know, they're in that six to nine range more, more or less. We'll see where it goes from here. But, look, they were picked 10th before the season started in the Big Ten. They were not supposed to be an NCAA tournament this year, a team this year. Uh, so Willard's gotten every ounce uh, of, of the best that this uh, group has to offer. It's similar to me to the team two years ago that was in a rebuilding season, and I thought Turge did one of his best jobs. He got every ounce out of that team. They made it to the tournament. They had some big road wins that year at Rutgers at Illinois. They made it to the tournament. They beat a higher-seeded team in UConn. And then they got run out of the building by Alabama, who was really good that year and really talented. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's good. This is going to be now, um, uh, you know, hopefully the beginning of what, you know, Turge left off, which was six years out of seven in the tournament. And hopefully Willard can do better in March because that's the mic drop when it comes to the last era. Yes, it is. It just wasn't good enough once we got there because we were always getting there, um, but we weren't, uh, you know, we weren't winning um, when we got there. But tonight should be fun. You know, uh, Purdue's good. You're you're familiar with Zach Eady, aren't you or not? The big center? Yeah. Yeah. This is your kind of of basketball. I know. Yeah. I know. I mean, he I know, is inside game going inside. I know every, absolutely everything runs through the big seven foot four inch three hundred pounder, who's got great feet, yeah. great hands. He's the best big man in America. Who knows whether or not it translates to the next level because he he doesn't extend the floor, doesn't stretch the floor, shooting threes. That's not Zach Eady, but you know, here's a guy that's averaging twenty two and thirteen. You know, and shoot 63% from the floor. And most of those are just lay-ins and dunks. And every single team seems to play him the same way. The ball goes into the post, and there is an immediate double team. And he's a good passer. Um, and this has always been one of my favorite coaches in the country, and Matt Painter, to watch. So we'll see what happens tonight. I, I think Maryland's got a really good chance to win the game. And if they do, um, you know, you're talking about they got a real good shot to finish second in the Big Ten, um, which, you know, pretty good for a team that was picked to finish 10th in the Big Ten. Uh, yeah, anyway, absolutely. So listen to this. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN, uh, tweeted out the following. 
Russell Westbrook has communicated with the Bulls, the Clippers, the Heat, and the Wizards about possible buyout destinations. Now, you know, it sounds like he would be fine with coming back to Washington. He's in Utah after all of the trades of a, of a week ago. Um, there's going to be a buyout there of his deal, and then he's going to have the ability to go somewhere uh, to play this year. You know, the the Clippers and the the, the Clippers are the uh, are the best spot for him in terms of playing with a legitimate NBA championship contender. The Heat, you know, in the East certainly have the potential. I mean, they were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year with Jimmy Butler playing incredibly well. They almost beat Boston in that best of seven. I don't think as much of a Russell Westbrook fan as I've been over the years. I mean, it kind of waned for me here in Washington. I just don't think that he's coming back to Washington, and I don't think it would be a good fit. Um, I just... The, the, I know this is going to totally make you. Um, uh, it, 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 it's, it, you're going to scream at me, and others are going to roll their eyes. I actually think they don't need him, and their rotation in their backcourt when they're healthy is actually a pretty good one. <laughs> like I, I don't know that he would help them. He might hurt them. I'm not talking about stylistically the way he plays. I think they've got. I think they have like eight or nine players who can really play. When they're healthy, so I don't want to disrupt well, that that incredible mojo that they have. That that that's <laughs> that incredible mojo. That forty-five game win season mojo that they have. Oh, well, 40, yep, we're familiar with that one, Mojo Wizards fans, right? Well, forty-five would forty-five be victories. That'd be incredible. Absolutely, yes, it would. Forty-five wins. We've never seen that before. Look, okay. I hope he comes. <laughs> it's just be more, it's just be more chaos. Yeah, you know, I always felt about Russell Wilson. If I mean uh, Russell Westbrook, he uh, it, it, on a championship team, he's a destructive force. Yeah, I mean he's he apparently is you know an incredible guy, an incredible teammate until the game yes. starts, and then. His style um, doesn't fit with a lot of situations. I mean, I mean, he's first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, let's not, you know. Yes, he is. There's no doubt yes, about that. Yes, he is. That. But there have been lots of selfish players who are in the Hall of Fame. Well, I wouldn't call one of the all-time great assist guys and triple-double guys selfish. I wouldn't call him a selfish player. I would say oh, that. Oh, he's a selfish player. He's self-centered. He's self-absorbed. He can't play any other way. But, but. Uh, he's convinced he'll win the game for you when he when that's not the best way to win. I don't think every that, time he has the ball. That's not the way I would describe it. I would describe him as just never ever being able to slow down when the game slows down. Selfish would not be the way I would describe Russell Westbrook, who has always been a great facilitator, great scorer too, great rebounder, um, but a guy that's the all-time leader in triple doubles, rebounding and assisting along with scoring. I would never describe as selfish. That's not the way I would, okay. I would describe let his game. You, he just let me he, ask you a question. Yes. Do you think any coach has ever had a discussion with him about the way he plays and asked him to adjust the way he plays for his team? Yes, but I don't think it's... Do you think that conversation's ever taken place? Yes. By the way, Oscar... uh, Okay, okay. 
but that has, okay. but it has nothing okay. to do with him being selfish. But, it has to do with him well, in the way he plays stylistically. Adjust, if you can't adjust your style for the sake of your team, then you're selfish. I think he's tried. Or you're not very talented. No, I think he just has the lack of what? being able to <laughs> slow down when the game slows down. That's been his biggest issue, along with the fact that he's never been a consistent shooter. Um, Russell Westbrook, if you could play, you know, kind of take it off the rim and every single possession is a fast possession, you'd be okay. But that's not what happens when the game slows down in the postseason. And he's just never been able to slow down. I I wouldn't describe that as selfish. I would be that, 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 that. I think his intentions are right. I just don't think he's capable of doing it. By the way, every single... You don't think, you don't think he's smart enough to do it? It's not that he's not smart enough to do it. I you just, don't think he's got like a mental block yeah, that stops him from doing it? Yeah, I think that there's this energy level that he plays with, this speed that he plays with, this you know, reckless... He's 34 years old. This reckless abandon... To, that he plays with that he's never been able who, to shake out of. Who can't, can't play with no control. He's 34 years old. Yeah. It might be time to slow down a little bit. Well, I mean, I don't think this dude, personality-wise, is ever going to slow down. Certainly not at 34. I mean, you haven't slowed down at 77 with your karaoke <laughs> tossing and turning. I mean, so he's not slowing down at 34. And he's got a lot more energy than you have and ever had. Um I, I don't want Westbrook back. I don't want Westbrook back here. Um, but it's, you know. How I, about Westbrook and John Wall? Let's get them both back. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on with John Wall. He's not healthy. And I, to be honest with you, the Clippers are the team that I'm rooting for out West. I don't want him with L.A. I think he'll be disruptive there, too. It, it, and again, it's not a selfish disruption. It's stylistically the way he plays. It just doesn't fit with a, I mean think about Kawhi Leonard the way he plays in the postseason how methodical he is you know and how you so, know you, you watch so you think Russell Westbrook has a, has a psychological disorder that keeps him from playing under control for his team I didn't want to describe it that way so directly but yes I think that there is I think that's part of it I think that he is I don't think he's capable of slowing down. I think his mind, his body, it's always racing, and especially when he's competing. And I think we've seen that over and over again in every postseason series he's ever played in. Game slows down and Westbrook can't, which means turnovers, uh, you know, bad passes, not, be, not playing selfishly, but playing sometimes too selflessly, and, 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 but it doesn't work. Because he's going too fast and everybody else has slowed down. And everybody else has gotten back on defense and they're playing defense. I mean, I'm not describing it exactly the way I'd want to describe it. I just don't think it's, 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 it has to do with self-absorption. I think it has to do with um, probably attention deficit. Um, those kinds of things where he's just not – he's always racing in everything he does competitively. Okay. And, and you know, it, you've got a mental block about Russell Westbrook. I think. Um, I don't know. I think I've watched a lot of him over the years, and I've talked to a lot of I people know. about him, including I think you have. including when and, he was and, here, and, and he was absolutely uh, loved by everybody here as a person. 
and as a yeah, leader. Yeah, I'm not talking. I, I look. <clears throat> he's a terrific guy off the court. He's he's a role model, uh, and he is he's he's a Hall of Famer. You're right about all that. Yeah. But you got to admit, I was the one when he was with Oklahoma you City in the early days. You said it. Okay. You said it'll never work. He'll never win a title. Yeah. And the because if, there are, how many times have you seen him in the air? Heading towards the basket, where he had no idea what he was going to do. A lot, especially in the playoffs. Yes. Yeah, yes. and that's exactly what I'm talking about, because it's head down. It's I'm going 150 miles per hour, and everybody else is going 100. Uh, you know, at times during the regular season, um, but in the postseason, they're down to 60, and I'm still going 150, and it just doesn't work. You've got to be able to p- play. Um, slower and play more half-court basketball, and he turns into a turnover machine at that point. And, you know, that's why, I, I mean, look, I don't care if he comes back to the Wizards, to be honest with you. They're not going anywhere. They, they do have better players than they've had in a while when they're healthy. You know, you've, you've seen a team that actually when they put Kuzma and Porzingis and Beal and now some of these other pieces that are playing well on the floor, they can really score. Like they're, they're, They can really play offensive NBA basketball, and they're going to win enough games probably at the very least to get into that play-in unless they just lose players left and right the rest of the way, which is very possible with them too. Um, I think the Clippers, it would be a disaster. I mean, I'm just picturing what Kawhi Leonard's been like. Like think about that Toronto team um, with, with Kyle Lowry and company. They were so good in the half court. They were so good in the half court defensively and in, and, and, and offensively. And as he strapped that team to his back in that postseason three years ago or four years ago, whenever it was now, and every possession, the methodical, you know, getting to his spot and the way he gets to it, um, that's not Russell Westbrook. Russ is going to be driving down the lane against three guys and try to kick it out to somebody, and somebody's going to be waiting on the pass, and it's going to be a turnover half the time. Paul George, too, you know, is is, is not going to fit well with Westbrook. Actually, George and Westbrook fit okay together when they were um, when they were together in OKC for those two years, but uh, I don't know. I don't know where he should go. The Miami Heat would be interesting, but Butler is a guy that is just the perfect playoff player. I mean, when things yes. slow down, he is a yes, badass. Absolutely. Um, yes. Give me Jimmy Butler every day of the week. No, give me Butler and Kawhi Leonard in big games in the postseason and just watch the way they figure it out. It's so funny. I had Legler on last week and um, for a while, and, and if people, if you missed that, he was, he was great. Talked a lot about Washington, the football team, talked a lot of NBA. But he just, towards the end of our NBA conversation, he goes, I just don't get you. And I said, what? And he goes, how can Kawhi Leonard be your favorite player when he's the king of load management? And it's so true. Like, it's typically the absolute player that I'd have a problem with. But I just, when the game is big and it's the postseason and he's healthy, there's no better two-way player in the game. No better. I mean, Butler's close in terms of a two-way player, and LeBron's close, of course, too, as a two-way player. But there's something about the way he does his work that I enjoy watching. Leonard may be your greatest call that I I ever remember. 
I mean, you you said in that draft, I remember distinctly, uh, you said that that's the guy you would pick. The Wizards should pick him. That was the Vesely draft, right? Yeah, it was the Jan Vesely draft. You don't think the Kirk yeah. Cousins and call you, was a better one? <laughs> no, I thought, I, no, I don't think so. I think Kirk All Cousins right. was more well-known than Leonard was in college. Well, no, I, I think that. But but Kirk Cousins wasn't an obvious first round pick, and Kawhi Leonard was. I didn't suggest that well, they take I, I Kirk Cousins that. in the first round. Yeah. No, no, I think. Look, I, I'm just telling. I'm trying to give you an accolade here. It was a remarkable call because okay. he's become one of the best players in the league. Not just an average player, not just a good player, but a great player. I want to ask you about the, all these baseball rules and see what you think about them. That's how we'll finish up the show right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Tommy, tell us about Shelly's back room. Well, Shelly's back room, which, which is the thing I miss the most about being in Florida, even though I don't do karaoke in Shelly's. They don't have karaoke. Everything else they have is great. Okay. Could we, do, could we do karaoke cigars. one night? Could we have a karaoke night know. at Shelly's back room? I don't know. So everybody can see maybe, you? Maybe we can. I'll have to work, I'll have to work on that. Okay. Uh, they're flexible over at Shelly's. They like a good time just like anybody else. And you have a good time when you're at Shelly's smoking your favorite cigar, drinking your favorite whiskey, and eating from the great menu they have. The, when I use this term menu of excellence yeah. sometimes on the show that we do. Right. I got that from Shelly's <laughs> because their food is a menu uh-huh. of excellence. And, and here's what I want to tell all you gals who are listening, or anybody who is listening, you want to get a, 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 a great birthday present or some kind of present for, for your guy, you can get gift cards for Shelly's Back Room. Mm. $25, $50, or other uh, de- denominations, you can go online at the, on their website, and you can buy gift cards for Shelly's, so you can just have that as a present. And I'm telling you, it's not something that they would expect, but they would enjoy it once they took once they used it, and they'd be back 
They'd say, "Where's my? when's my next gift card from Shelly's coming? Shelly's back room, 1331 F Street Northwest in the district. Uh, great spot. I just think we got to get a karaoke night, just one night. I don't know if Bob <laughs> would want to do that at Shelly's. It would not really fit <laughs> oh, no. with the Shelly's no. crowd. But if we built it around Tom doing karaoke only, <laughs> and it's more of a Tom Lovero concert of his favorite karaoke songs, I think we could get a big crowd in there. You know? I, I Look, right now I've got, I've got a two-book song list, and I'm going to expand it to a third, but... Uh, anything else after that. I'll tell you what happened the other night, uh, uh, last night. A bunch of women, mm-hmm. uh, they they got up to sing like 9 to 5, the Dolly Parton show. Yep. They dragged me up there with them and asked me to, to sing that <laughs> song with them. Oh, my God. <laughs> there, he, Where's that guy, Tom, that was up here doing tossing and turning yeah. the other day? And yeah. Cry Like a Baby. Is it Cry that Like a it. Baby? Is that the song? Um, I like a baby's the other one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where is that guy? Where's that? Uh, where, there he is. You can't miss him, by the way, with that beard and that hair. Um, and so and so, did you do it? Did you get up there and sing 9 to 5? Yeah, I did. did you? I got up there. And here's the one thing about karaoke that people don't realize. Everybody knows the chorus of songs. A lot of people don't necessarily know all the lyrics. Oh, no, for especially sure. Especially in, in the beginning of a song, you know? I mean, the fir- usually the first couple of lines, yeah. people aren't ready for no. or don't have a good grasp of. Nope. So they, they always have a problem starting the songs. And there was a little bit of a lyric issue with 9 to 5, but everybody could sing the chorus. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. you know, look, Michael had a problem with Islands in the Stream, and Jim came up yeah. and helped him out, and we, we, we got it all worked <laughs> out. And so, uh, by the way, that, that was a, that's a Kenny Rogers um, and, uh, um, and, and, what's Dolly her, and Dolly Parton song, right? And 9 yes. to 5 is yes, a Dolly Parton song. Yep. Yeah. Okay, then. So, yeah, I was, up, I was up there on stage for that last night, too. Okay. There's, um, there's no audio of that. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. We're going to end the show today with Tom's tossing and turning last night uh, in Destin. So, Steven Strasburg had a setback again with a bullpen session. Pitchers and catchers reported yesterday to West, West Palm, and... I had Galdi on the show the other day, and he said, Galdi just said, said flat out, his career is over. You agree with that, right? Yes. yes, it is. His career is over. Oh, it's... I know. It's, they paid him all this money. He threw about 33 innings. 31 and, and, 31 and, an eight, 31 and a third yeah. in the last three years. Yeah. 31 and a third. I know. I, I know. It's really a shame because... When we saw him last healthy, the 2019 World Series, oh my God, was he brilliant. That game six I performance mean, is an all-timer. And the clutchness of everything about his performances in the postseason over the, of those last few years. But that game six is an yeah. all-timer. You know, and I agree. I agree. Absolutely. He was, he was money when it counted the most. You know, and, 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 and I mean, he, it, was, it is a shame because I like Steven Strasburg. I like him as a person. You know, I got to know him over the years. He's very thoughtful, very introspective. Uh, and he had become a leader of sorts on that team and that pitching staff. And now he's just going to be a memory 
a fond memory, but a frustrating memory as well. Do you know what his all-time postseason ERA is? Take a guess. What is it? Take a guess. I don't know, 2.20? Wow. His postseason ERA, 1.46. He won uh, his last six appearances in the postseason, including, remember, the game that he almost didn't pitch because people were saying he had the sniffles in Chicago. Yes. Um, and he came yeah. out, and he was absolutely dominant in that game four to force yeah. game five. And then, yeah. you know, he came in obviously in relief of Scherzer in the wild card game against Milwaukee. Yes. Okay. He's he. This is a no brainer. He's a Nats Ring of Ring of Honor member, right? I mean, yes. This is why I'm. He's not. I, I feel like he's the, not a Hall of Famer, but he he'll no. go in the Nats, whatever it's called, the Ring of Honor do, or or do, Ring do they of have Fame that? or they've got that. Yeah, they have something like that. Yeah, Jason Worth is in it for well, God's sake. Of course, so he's going to be in it. He was. He was. Yeah, he was the MVP that. of the World Series. They have. Yes. Yeah, it's a shame that he, his career didn't last long enough for him to be Hall of Fame uh, consideration. It's just too short. The numbers are just too. Well, Tommy, he doesn't have one. He doesn't have one Cy Young. He doesn't even have close to a Cy Young season, right? You're right. I mean, I'm looking through it right now. Let me see where his best Cy Young final voting was. His last year might have been his best year. You mean in 2019? Finished fifth. Finished fifth that year in the Cy Young voting. He finished third in 2017. Okay. okay, so won, won, the, won the series MVP in 2019, never really sniffed a Cy Young. I mean, in 2017, no, no, he, he finished third behind, let me see where it is, Cy Young voting. Scherzer, Kershaw, Strasburg. It's the best he ever finished with uh, in terms of voting. Finished with 81 votes Max won it with 201 first place votes, and Kershaw was second. He was 15 and four that year with a 2.52 ERA. It's yeah. it's 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 an unfulfilled it's career from a fan perspective, given the hype and the way it started that night um, with 14 strikeouts against Pittsburgh. Well, yes and no. I mean, he brought he brought, he won a World Series, but I'm not so sure it's unfulfilled. For fans, I think that when I think if you asked those fans that night, yeah, would 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 you have would you you know have a limited Steven Strasburg in exchange for a World Series title? I think nine out of ten would have said yes. Yeah, with a World Series title with him starring in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I well, you know, of course, in 2010, you would have said if Strasburg doesn't live up to the hype, but Washington wins a World Series in the next 10 years, would you take that? Yeah, but you were thinking at that point, Strasburg, and they're going to have a number one ace. They're going to have a multi-time Cy Young award winner, and because it's a pitcher, they're going to be a contender with him at some point. By the way, I was thinking about this this morning. There was that stretch, and you and I were doing the show together back then. 
there was that stretch of Strasburg and Harper in terms of hype of players coming into a sport. I'm not talking about coming into this city, into a sport. The hype around Strasburg, the hype around Harper, the hype around RG3, and really the hype around John Wall as well when he was the first pick in the draft. We had a stretch of like three or four years there where we had in all, with the, we already had in Ovechkin, well, Ovechkin was a young player in 2010, you know, when Strasburg came up. We had. Four yeah, of the, the youngest, most exciting their playoff run. Yes, uh, then under uh, Ovechkin. <laughs> yeah, starting their playoff, their their playoff early exits, their playoff underachieving, yes. which was 2010 against yes. Halak in Montreal, if I recall, with the best record in hockey. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Harper's lived up to it. I mean, he's a two-time MVP. I think he's lived up to yeah, the hype. I think, I think Harper has. Okay, I think he has. Strasburg hasn't though. No. Yeah, and I think it's unfulfilled because of that. Okay. I just – but you know what? It it hurts because I, I've always liked him. What you just said, there's always been something likable about him, even though there were times where it just seemed like he was always going to get hurt, and I understand that. But the dude rose to the occasion in, their, in that postseason run for that franchise from 2012 through 2019 – when they were in the postseason, what, five out of those seven seasons or five out of the eight seasons, and they won more games during that stretch of any National League team not named the Dodgers. They had a lot of big games in October and a lot of series that fell short in game deciding, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, game fives specifically, you know, going back to the start, starting series against St. Louis. But that dude was a badass horse. I mean, yeah, and it, I think it started, I think really that Chicago game was the game that turned it around because I don't think people felt that way about him, Tommy. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think people thought of Strasburg as a clutch performer before that Chicago oh, no. game. You know, that no, was the right. one that turned it Absolutely. around. He had yes, big, he had big right. games. I mean, he pitched a gem against St. Louis. I remember this, the World Series year. Pitched a gem against the Dodgers. Came in in relief in that Milwaukee game, and then forget about it in Game Six. I mean, that's the last time we saw him healthy, and that's what clinched the MVP for him uh, in a game they had to have down three games to two. He was brilliant in that game. Uh, remember after the start in which they weren't really concerned and who was the pitching coach that knew that some of his pitches were getting tipped a little bit, um, that he was p- uh, tipping his pitches Paul, a little bit? Paul, Paul, what was his name? Oh, my God. Paul something. Yeah, why are we blanking on that? Um, uh, and, and dis- well, I don't want to say Paul Manafort. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't Paul Manafort. He may have been in jail no. at, that, at that point um, in 2019. Right. Uh, no, it was, oh, my God. We'll come up with it here in a second. But he, they never – he talked to Davey and he said, should we tell him? And they decided not to tell him. But Strasburg figured it out on his own and then mowed everybody Paul down. Menhart. Paul Paul Menhart. Menhart, Menhart, thank you. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and um, he mowed everybody down after giving up a run early and was brilliant. Yeah. So – what do you think about these new baseball rules? Some of these new things. I mean, do you want me to go through the list or do you do you know what they are? 
Well, so, I mean, so off the top of my head, you have the uh, you have the pitch clock. Yeah, so we know that we okay. knew we knew the shift rule was coming. So the pitch clock, right? Pitchers are going to have 15 seconds to throw a pitch with the bases empty, 20 seconds with a runner on base. Um, hitters will need to be in the batter's box with eight seconds on the pitch clock. Um, <laughs> is this going to be tough to enforce? I mean, is there going to be a shot clock? Are we going to be able to see a shot clock? Each stadium apparently you know, is going to have I clocks in the in the in, in the stadium, but are we going to see that on TV? I think it'll be tough to enforce. I think what I think what it does. It's a shame that Masson, the, the godforsaken network that has the Nationals, is only televising three Nationals games this spring mm-hmm. because spring training is must-watch right now in baseball because they're implementing these rules right from the start. I mean, right from the first game of spring training. Okay, so. Their ho- baseball is hoping by the time spring training is over, a lot of the kinks are worked out and players are used to it. But there's going to be a lot of missteps along the way, which makes spring training very interesting. You know, the pitchers can only throw over for pickoffs two times. I know, well, that's the next thing I was going to get to. On a runner. Before I get to that, yeah, though, just, I mean, just if real they throw over, if, if they throw over a third time, they have to pick the guy off. Real quickly before we get to that, um, because I, I want to talk about that in more detail. Your position on the on the length of baseball games is what? Look, I, I would have just left everything alone, okay? And here's why. And this sounds very simplistic, but maybe that's because it's genius. Uh, they just had a story that said 17% of the people living in the United States are 65 years or older. That's a 38% increase since 2010. Mm-hmm. Okay? The population is getting older. Right. And if baseball appeals to an older population, just sit there and wait it out. They're going to come to you. You know? They're going to they're gonna like the speed of the baseball game. They're going to like the slowness of it. They're going to like the pace of it. They're going to show up at the ballpark, and they're going to—they're—they're not—they're not going to be playing Nintendo anymore at home at the age of sixty-five. They're not going to be watching the NBA. I can tell you that at the age of sixty-five, they'll go watch baseball games. So I would have just left everything alone and wait for this aging population to come around to me. That said, I don't have a big problem with everything that they're doing. I mean, I'm not a big. You know, oh, you can't do this. Even even the extra inning thing where you have oh, the ghost runner. That. Now, sorry. I, hate that. I know that, but, but I... you know who wanted it? The players, the players oh wanted it. Oh, my God. I can't stand that. That's... They, they don't like playing extra inning games. Well, they, they, they're still playing extra inning games. They're just starting. Both teams have the same situation, a player on base. It's not like there's an advantage right. one way or the other. You've just increased no, the chance that you're going to score. Probably. Um, yes. So uh, let me get to the pickoff thing because I love the way that this rule is described. Pickoffs are one version of a, quote, disengagement, closed quote, which consists of any time the pitcher makes a pickoff attempt, fakes a pickoff, or simply steps off the rubber for any reason, as well as when the defense requests time. Pitchers are allowed 
two disengagements per plate appearance without penalty. The penalty is a balk when it happens yes. on the third time. Okay? I Unless you pick the guy off. Unless you pick the guy off. Um, yes. So, uh, so I mean, look, that does get frustrating, and you get all the boos from the fans. You get the fake pickoff. You get the you know two or three times he's he's thrown over there to make sure he holds them. You know, especially in a big leverage situation where you know you've got you know uh, an out, and he's trying to get into scoring position, and it's a really good base runner. I don't know. To me, that's always been part of the game, but I, I it too seems like it's too few. Like, I don't know, it seems to me like people are just initially pitchers are going to do it. Like, Russell Westbrook can't slow down when you get to the postseason. I think this new rule is going to take some real kind of, oh, my God, what's that rule again? How many times have I thrown over up? I just did it for a third time. I I went to do it, and then I acted like it was a fake, but it counted. And here we go. Runners are advancing. You're going to see a lot more stolen bases, that's for sure. And they want that. But once once there's two once there's two pickoffs, then the runner knows. Yeah. Well, he's not going to throw over a third time. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a massive advantage. Then you get yeah. why have they increased the base size from 15 inches to 18 inches? The increase in the size of the bases should reduce injuries, um, while also they believe increasing the probability of stolen base attempts. So with the pickoff rule and with the stolen bait, with the big bags, um, they think that stolen bases are going to increase. Well, the bang-bang play got a little bang-bang shorter. I mean, because the bases are bigger. The base, you're, you're, the base you're trying to reach now at second base is a little bit closer than the one was before. It could be a, a finger closer, but how many times have we seen you know, replays of, of plays at second where basically it's just like a split-second difference between touching the bag and not touching the bag. You know, and these, these bases, they're like the size of a pizza box uh, That's now. what I've, I've heard, yeah. They're not small. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it, um, Again, it's like 18 by 18. Watch training inches. games, people, because they're going to be a lot. They'll be interesting to watch because they're going to have to work all this out now. Spring training is much more interesting this year. I mean, this sport has really tried to increase um, the or decrease the time, uh, the length of the game, and increase more exciting plays and take out more of the boring stuff. You know, the NFL's major change, true major change um, in recent years was they decided that the extra point was too boring, so they moved it back. And, and and in the hopes that more teams would go for two more often, and we have seen more two-point conversions, I don't think it's necessarily because of um, moving the PAT back to 37 yards. I think it's just the teams have gotten more aggressive. I mean, look, the Eagles, with the way they run that quarterback sneak, at this point, I don't, I don't think they need a kicker for PATs. They just need a field goal kicker. Uh, they should just run Jalen Hurts on a quarterback sneak from the two-yard line every single extra point. To get to, nobody can stop that play. Um, but man, baseball really, really has gone after tweaking their sport to create something yeah. 
um, that's better. Uh, I'm kind of with you. I don't know. I, I guess in part it's not because I'm such a hardcore baseball guy that I'm I'm not passionate, super, uh, super passionate about any of these things. I can't stand the runner starting on second in the tenth inning. To me, that's kind of like gimmicky in the same way that penalty kicks is for my favorite sport of soccer. I'd rather just see them play, um, you know, an extra uh, a sudden death period. Um, or, uh, you know, another period of extra time. Um, well, it definitely is gimmicky, <laughs> that's for sure. It's like it's like the, you know, the college football overtime rule. I hate the gimmicky stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. It's gimmicky. But anyway. All right. Anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. Really? Nothing else? Why? Did I forget something? No, nope, you didn't. But I just wanted you to introduce you singing, tossing okay. and turning. Okay. Okay, this is my latest karaoke appearance at Kenny D's, which I've said is like so close to me that if I fell off my seventh floor balcony, I'd land on the roof of the place. Uh, and uh, Wednesday nights, karaoke's a big night there. And I've been going every Wednesday night, and I introduced a new song last week, and I brought it out again this week, Toss It and Turn It by Bobby Lewis. It's a one-hit wonder. I never heard of Bobby Lewis after this song. But it's a great tune, and uh, I think I do a fantastic job of, of covering it myself. Stick till the end. You'll see the ovation that he got at the end. Uh, we'll finish it up that way. I'll be back tomorrow.